Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Communication Mixed Down. The show that takes a critical look at contemporary media. And explores the way we use communication to make sense of the world around us. From social media to citizen journalism. To the logo on the front of your favourite T-shirt. It's all part of the Communication Mixed Down. Each week, Thursday, 6 to 6.30. Communication Mixed Down. Cranking up right here on 3CR. This is Communication Mixed Down. Hello, I'm Rima Rattan. After the overthrow of Malcolm Turnbull, the new Prime Minister Scott Morrison memorably described the leadership spill that brought him into power as a Muppet show, which was not exactly a vote of confidence in his own party. Was this what we should be expecting from a new Prime Minister? With this in mind, on Communication Mixdown this week, we're investigating styles of political communication. Dr. Norman Abjorensen is a former national editor of the Sydney Morning Herald and award-winning journalist. He's worked as a political advisor, speechwriter and corporate communications executive. He's currently a visiting fellow at the Crawford School of Public Policy at ANU in Canberra. As a regular media commentator on Australian politics, he's been keeping a close watch on Liberal Party machinations and the implications for the Morrison government's style of political communication. I spoke with Norman Abjorensen earlier in the week. Let's start with optics, which is a strong consideration in political communication. Could you start by telling our listeners what is meant by the word in politics and why it is important, perhaps also when it became important? Optics is a, a buzzword that's now crept into the, the discourse of political communication, uh, a word much used by insiders, often puzzles outsiders. What it means simply is the way in which an event or a proposed course of action is likely to be perceived by the public. And I mean, the practical application of optics is um, political party A is proposing to do this. It works out. This is the announcement. How do we dress it up? How do we frame it? How do we try and anticipate how the public's going to respond to it? So it involves a large amount of uh, window dressing, a large amount of preparation, a, a, a big cosmetic input, and uh, possibly even a, uh, a degree of manipulation. That, that's what we're talking about when we talk about optics in the political sense. Okay, to focus now on how the current Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, communicates and presents himself, there's a certain blokiness and a forced sort of common sense approach that often comes across as belligerence. Do you think this sort of persona resonates with the Australian public? I think Scott Morrison is a man in a hurry. I think he's got pressing problems about certainly the... uh, the languishing of his government in the opinion polls and the, the circumstances under which he uh, succeeded Malcolm Turnbull. He uh, has been a prominent figure in Australian political life for some years now. Earlier on, he made a name for himself as a, a very tough-minded immigration minister. He was instrumental in Tony Abbott's campaign of stopping the boats. So we saw this uh, this tough guy emerge. 
when Tony Abbott was overthrown by Malcolm Turnbull in 2015, uh, Scott Morrison became the treasurer. And uh, he wasn't as prominent. I mean, he was he was certainly active within the government, but he wasn't in the media a lot. And I think Australians are now just starting to come to grips with this figure who's been a bit of a backroom operator, uh, not well known, and I think he's trying very quickly to forge an image. Now, whether that's uh, going to be a positive or a negative one uh, remains to be seen, but I'm, I'm a little bit puzzled by his... Um, lapsing into the vernacular. I mean, some of the terms he's using, the fair go, the g'day mate thing, uh, they, they were pretty common around 40 or 50 years ago. I'm not sure that they resonate with a, uh, a contemporary community. And I'm not sure the blokiness, given the Liberal Party's well-known and well-publicised problems with women at the moment, uh, is the way to go to position him as, uh, as an inclusive leader. So, you know, I think there are fairly serious questions to be asked about the advice Scott Morrison's getting or the way in which he's setting about trying to introduce himself virtually on the eve of a federal election to the Australian people as someone who wants to be re-elected. Who do you think he's trying to connect with by using this kind of language? I mean, does this version of Australia even exist anymore, even in pockets, I suppose? I think there's a... uh there's an element involved in this uh, strategy, if I can dignify it with the term strategy, to try and distinguish himself from his predecessor, Malcolm Turnbull. Now, Malcolm Turnbull, as everybody knows, was an extremely wealthy man. Um, Mr. Harborside Mansion was the term often used uh, to describe him, to uh, often by members of his own political party, I have to say. Um, it, it suggests that he was a man out of touch with ordinary Australians. Um, Scott Morrison is deliberately trying to uh, foster an image that shows he's not out of touch. He goes to the football. He's a, a fairly strong rugby league supporter of the Cronulla Sharks. Uh, we've seen him eating hamburgers and sausages at barbecues. We've seen him drop colloquial sayings into his conversation. I think what he's trying to do is say here, I'm not Malcolm Turnbull. I'm an ordinary Australian like you. Um, Please vote for me. And I'm not sure how this will really play out there. I mean, most people are aware that politicians aren't like ordinary people. I mean, it's a a very specialised job. They live in a bubble to a very large extent. To try and say, I'm just like the bloke next door, I I think the public's probably a little bit cynical of that. But uh, probably early days yet. We'll see how this this plays out in the coming months. Can you think of other prime ministers who've kind of used this sort of idea of projecting an image that, in order to resonate with the public, that that may not actually be their authentic self. Well, I think the, the best example of that is probably, uh, we don't have to go back all that far, to Kevin Rudd. And uh, before Kevin Rudd became leader, when he was uh, serving under Kim Beasley in Canberra back in the early 2000s, he was the foreign, uh, Shadow Minister for Foreign Affairs. He got a uh, fairly prominent morning television gig on Sunrise, uh, appearing with Joe Hockey, and uh, they indulged in a lot of banter. They told jokes. They slapped each other on the back. Um, what the public saw, Kevin Rudd was this light-hearted man with a ready joke, a quick wit and a smile. And uh, it was a very different Kevin Rudd 
that the people who worked with him on a day-to-day basis knew. They knew a fairly intense man, a driven man, uh, not always um, displaying humour. So what we saw was Kevin Rudd appealing to the public over his party, fostering an image out there that he was this hail fellow one that well met, that he got on well with the opposition, he could tell a joke. The Kevin Rudd that uh, people were objecting to was uh, was light years removed from that hail fellow well met that was on morning television. So we had here Kevin Rudd deliberately pushing an image of himself that was quite far removed from the truth. And in fact, I'd, I'd read somewhere once uh, a telling comment by his brother that Kevin tries very hard to be normal, which uh, is, is really quite damning in a way. Yeah, and, and perhaps our Prime Minister is trying to do something similar. One of the early phrases that Scott Morrison was using a lot for the first couple of weeks after replacing Malcolm Turnbull was, if you have a go, you get a go. Then I think it was dropped and not heard again. As someone who's worked as a political advisor, are you, tell, are you able to tell us a little about the possible reasons why he would pivot away from, from this? I guess I'm trying to get a sense of what happens behind the scenes to test what messages are working and which aren't, how, how politicians do that. It was an interesting one when I heard it. I mean, it's, um, I remember scratching my head and thinking, where did this come from? And it, in, look, in some ways, it, um, it, it would appeal to Liberal Party diehards. I mean, the Liberal Party's always said it's the party of free enterprise, it's the party that supports the risk taker, which means the employer, the small business person, uh, have a go, we'll, we'll support you. Um, I think it just fell on deaf ears. It didn't resonate. It didn't gain any traction. Uh, I'm not sure if it was tested beforehand with the focus group or anything like that. I think probably someone in his office probably tapped him on the shoulder and said, mate, that's not working. Or maybe one of his colleagues told him something quite bluntly, um, steer clear of it. I mean, it, uh, it hasn't come back. <laughs> it might yet. But it was a, it was a curious one. But uh, well, I'm sure we're going to see some more of those. As, uh, as we get closer to the election. Something to look forward to. Um, the Prime Minister and indeed the, the Liberal National Party sometimes appears to be taking cues from places where voting isn't compulsory, such as the UK and the US, to speak directly to certain parts of the population, what the party calls its base, but which may in fact just be its membership. How effective do you think this approach is in Australia? I pricked up my ears some years ago when I started to hear the Liberals talking about their base. And um, I mean, I think if we could pinpoint one event that started to set in train the events that brought Malcolm Turnbull undone just so very recently was um, the very conservative then Minister uh, Conchetta Fiorante Wells, the Liberal senator. going public saying that uh, Malcolm Turnbull was too far to the left, his policies were out of step with the Liberal Party's base, her base. And um, it it started puzzling me. I started to hear this term, the base, over and over again. And really, it's it's something that's been imported into Australian politics. Uh, As far as I'm aware, it grew out of the Tea Party insurrection uh, movement in the United States some years ago, the... uh, the extreme right that's probably now got a dominant control of the Republican Party in the United States, they started talking about the base. And it didn't mean the party as a whole. It meant the 
the activists, the hard right activists within the party, and I think that's the the connotation that applies probably equally in Australia. And of course, uh, as, as you rightly pointed out, um, voting is not compulsory in the United States. In Australia, it is. So there was an attempt using that term in the United States context to try and energise people, to try and uh, get a greater vote out for Republican candidates. I, I think the the use of it in Australia means uh, really we can translate it as the hard right core of activists, which might only be a couple of hundred people around the country spread over 150 electorates. I mean, I think... If you hear a Liberal talking about the base now, you've really got to ask, are they talking about the membership of a party or are they talking about uh, the ideologues within that party? Which leads me on to another point, I think, which is not entirely irrelevant here. Is, um, even though we've got compulsory voting and uh, there's no sign of the Australian people thinking otherwise about it, I mean, it's well and truly here to stay, we do have a problem in Australia with political apathy. And um, that's, uh, that, that, that's dangerous. I mean, the, uh, the level of active involvement in our political parties is remarkably small. The last figure I saw was about 10 years ago when the Bureau of Statistics estimated that probably 1.1 of Australians were members of political parties. I suspect it's fallen since then. The problem with a small membership of very large political parties or powerful political parties is twofold. One of them one of them is that to have a reasonable chance of getting elected in Australia to an Australian parliament, you need to be a member of one of the two main parties or one of possibly one of the very smaller parties with an outside chance. So the talent pool is small. The talent pool is very small. The other danger is that because our political parties are so small, they can be taken over quite easily. By uh, by an act, a well organised group. Now, I think the processes that the Labor Party has with its union dominance precludes this to a very large extent. But the Liberal Party is not so protected, and I think we've seen certainly right wing insurgencies in New South Wales, more recently in Victoria with the religious right, and of course just recently the National Party in New South Wales, the Nationals of expelled uh, activists from the so-called alt-right that were seeking to take over the party. So the, the, the smallness of our political parties, particularly the right of centre parties, leaves them very vulnerable to take over. And I, I think we're seeing some of that in uh, right of centre politics in Australia, playing out in pre-selections, playing out in election results, playing out in the general political discourse we're uh, tuning into at the moment. You're listening to political commentator and academic Norman Abjoransson in an interview I recorded earlier in the week where we were discussing the Morrison government's approach to political communication. In the summer I went swimming in the summer. Yay for summer! Summer brings swimming, summer brings picnics in the park and summer brings the 3CR Summer Wine Fundraiser. Thanks to the support of Small Patch Wine Store in Hawthorne, we're selling 3CR Radical Radio labelled wines for only $15 a bottle. And they're even cheaper by the dozen or half dozen. Perfect as a gift or to fill a raised glass to toast 3CR at those summer festivities. 
Call the station between 9 to 5 on 9419 8377 to order or go to 3cr.org.au forward slash shop. Then you can drop into our Fitzroy studios to collect before the 21st of December. Small Patch Wine Store is a 3CR supporter. Moving on to social media, this attempt to take control of the narrative, as it were, by talking directly to voters via Facebook, Twitter and their websites, how important do you think it is for politicians to do it? And and does this kind of thing cut through to voters? I think broadly we're still trying to come to terms with, with what has been quite a profound information revolution with the rise of the internet, the rise of social media, and particularly in terms of political communication. Uh, one of the the problems we've seen in uh, the rise of social media is its echo chamber effect that people are, are going to um, lock onto a default bias where they're only hearing their own opinions or reinforcing the opinions they already hold. It's not necessarily a debating forum. Um, I think what we're seeing in Australia probably um, lags behind a lot of things that are happening elsewhere in the world. And look off the top of my head, um, a couple of examples in Europe um, in, in very recent years come to mind. The, uh, the rise of the left of centre Podemos uh, party under a, a very charismatic ponytail, the political scientists called uh, um, Pablo Iglesias. They've, they've come out of nowhere, largely as a, an internet-based, a social media-based political party. And the way Podemos organises itself is through uh, small groups in towns and villages, people connected by the internet. And under their uh, quite remarkable constitution, any member can propose a policy, any member can actually propose legislation. And it's a two-way communication process between the members, the public, uh, the general public and the elected representatives. So it's pretty far advanced from what we're seeing in Australia. The other example on the the political right in uh, Europe would probably be the rise of the uh, Five Star Movement in Italy uh, under the uh, well-known comedian uh, Beppe Grillo, this started off essentially had its origins as a blog. So their influence in uh, Italian politics is now enormous. I mean, they can make or break governments. They have a huge input into policy. Uh, essentially organised not on a, a branch basis like traditional political parties, but all but through social media and over the internet. On the uh, closer to home in the Philippines... Uh, I think it's worth looking at the case of the very right-wing populist uh, president, uh, our own regional Donald Trump in um, Rodrigo Duterte. And his election back in 2016 uh, was remarkable for its use of social media. Certainly he used social media to promote himself, but probably more importantly and more ominously, uh, his campaigners organised a... uh, a large army of paid volunteers to act as trolls through internet. And, um, I mean, the Philippines is one of the most 
socially connected uh, countries in the world in terms of internet access, certainly social media, Facebook access. And the people campaigning for Duterte uh, uh, attacked his opponents, attacked criticism of him, a uh, mixture of real news and fake news in overwhelming proportions. And of course, uh, he was elected very handsomely. And in that context, it was probably the dark side of social media, an army of organized trolls that uh, were the big winners in that election, which was something quite new. What do you think the prospects are of, of, of something like this happening in Australia, of a political movement spontaneously sort of um, appearing in social media that sort of reaches critical mass to become a national force? It, it just seems so uh, that we in Australia are sort of stuck with the, with the same old parties, really. I think our political system is probably holding together better than most countries, and certainly the uh, the stability of the Australian Labor Party is unique. Uh, around the world, particularly in Western Europe, the left-of-centre parties have not only disintegrated, but have virtually disappeared. The once dominant Socialist Party in France is, is, is now a, a tiny minority. The Social Democrats in uh, in Germany are much less powerful than they were. They've almost disappeared in Italy. Uh, I think the, the Labor Party here is, is defying that trend. And certainly I've talked about this with the, uh, the former federal treasurer, Wayne Swan, who's now the federal president of the Labor Party. He, uh, he is someone who's pretty tuned into overseas developments, and he sees uh, very much the Labor Party bucking the trend and is, 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 is quite insistent on the party uh, having to build defences around being taken over, being out-politicked on the social media front. So I think we'll see the Labor Party holding its own. Now, if a series of disasters befalls the right-of-centre parties in the coming months, so we've just seen a, uh, an electoral rout of the Liberals in Victoria... Weekend polls now show that the Liberal government in uh, New South Wales, which goes to the polls on the 23rd of March, is in trouble. And we're probably going to face a federal election in May. Now, if the dominoes fall, the Liberal Party loses in New South Wales, the Liberal Party gets routed in the national election, I think we're going to see a big wave of uh, realignment on the right of centre in Australian politics. It, it, it is possibly going to be the case that the traditional Liberal Party won't survive in its present form. I mean, I, I have to admit, I said that once before in 2007 and got it wrong. But um, we might see um, we might see another attempt like has happened in Queensland to merge the parties of the right, uh, like the Nationals and the Liberals have done there with the LNP. But I have to say, that has not been a success. And certainly the nationals I've spoken to in Victoria and New South Wales don't see it as the road to go down. But look, um, given, given the likelihood of the Liberals and the nationals facing uh, political disasters in the 2019, uh, you know, it, it's going to be very fluid on that side of politics. So uh, going to be very interesting political watching for several months after both those elections. That was a pre-recorded interview with Dr. Norman Abjorensen, political historian, media commentator and visiting fellow at the Australian National University. 
His books include The Manner of Their Going, Prime, Minister, Prime Ministerial Exits from Lynn to Abbott, and the forthcoming A History of Democracy. That's all from Communication Mixdown for another week. As always, we'll have the podcast of this show available on the 3CR website shortly. We're back next Thursday at the same time, so please join us then.